look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, Calais Campbell, star defensive end of the Jacksonville Jaguars and candidate for NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Plus two journalists I respect tremendously. From my staff at the MMQB, Jenny Varentis, who has just spent a week with the Philadelphia Eagles, and to report on the devastating injury to Carson Wentz, Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Before we get into those, you know, I wanted to give you a few thoughts about something that happened over the weekend in the NFL that I thought was just a tremendous amount of fun. And you're going to think that it's not necessarily all that fun just to look back on it fondly and let's talk about it. But look, Buffalo and Indianapolis played a football game on Sunday in Orchard Park, New York, and no one would have cared anything about this game had it not been for the fact that between 8 and 12 inches of snow fell on New Era Field in Orchard Park all afternoon and made it one of the most interesting and beautiful tableaus that you'll ever see when you watch a football game. Now, most times during a football game, when there's heavy snow, uh, especially at halftime and right before the game, they'll bring out these big sweepers to get the snow off the field. But the problem is the Bills did this a couple of years ago before a game. And on their field, they've got the little rubber pellets, the black rubber pellets with the artificial turf at New Era Field. And what happened is they swept away all of the pellets so that the field was, in essence, ruined um, because it just was then the rock-hard solid grass, and it wasn't. These little black pellets are basically ground-up tires and other pieces of rubber so that when you... Uh, when you step on it, it feels like you're stepping on something a little bit softer than just, you know, hard turf, hard artificial turf, um, you know, with very little give to it. So the Bills couldn't do that. The only thing that they did in this game was they had leaf blowers. And they every time there was a break in the play, they would try to blow the, um, you know, the, the, the snow off the yard line so at least you could see that. But otherwise, players just played in snow. And I don't know how much of the game you saw, but I thought it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I'll tell you a couple of quick stories. I was talking to Steve Tasker of CBS. He used to work for the Bills, or he used to play for the Bills, rather. And he's a great special teams player. And he was there as the sideline reporter for CBS. And he told me, I said, what was it like? And he goes, you know, 
the 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 big linemen when they came out to warm up before the game and they see that you basically you can't even see halfway across the field there's a blizzard and these linemen he said just imagine 300 pound guys who are all acting like they're 6 years old they start jumping up and down and they say oh man this is great and you all of a sudden forget that half of them make three or four million dollars a year. And uh, so anyway, they went out and just had a good time. Uh, and Tasker said what was really, really interesting is, it, is he said there were some parts of the field, especially on some sideline areas, that had not been uh, trod upon. And so uh, they were just, they, they were absolutely pristine snow. And he said, if you put a ruler in there, it would have measured about 12 inches because these guys, it was so exhausting to them to have to play through it. It's like running through quicksand. But the story that I thought was really cool, I know Richie Incognito, I know LaShawn McCoy as well. And after the game, I spoke to McCoy and I texted with Incognito. And one of the coolest things is you probably saw in the last play of the game, in overtime, uh, LaShawn McCoy ran 21 yards for the winning touchdown. And he ran on a, uh, behind a block from Incognito. And I named Richie Incognito one of my offensive players of the week this week in Monday morning quarterback for a very simple reason. This was a combination block is what it's called. And what Incognito had to do is he had to go and he had to push the nose tackle out of the way, the defensive tackle. He had to push him to the left so that uh, there would be a, a little path for McCoy to get through before the defensive tackle could come and get him. But that's not the only thing that Incognito had to do. He had to push the defensive tackle, Jonathan Hankins, uh, oh, uh, you know, to the left. And then he had to go wall off the middle linebacker, Antonio Morrison, so that he couldn't get to McCoy. So actually, uh, Richie Incognito blocked two guys, and they were the two guys who were most important. And those are the guys who were supposed to tackle LaShawn McCoy, one or the other, through this guard hole vacated by Richie Incognito. But because Incognito blocked both, uh, it, McCoy was 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 able to uh, make it all the way for the touchdown, and I thought Incognito would have loved it. And he goes, "Oh man, I hated it." He said, "It was all your technique goes right out the window. There's nothing." He said, "It just becomes like like a wrestling match, you know, where all you're trying to do is shove somebody out of the way and and throw them down." And uh, but anyway, I I just know that there aren't many people in the United States who would have given anything about that football game on Sunday, but I found it one of the most entertaining games of the year because at the end of the day, it was a bunch of little kids playing snow football. And now my conversation with Jacksonville defensive end, Calais Campbell. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King, uh, happy to be joined by Calais Campbell, defensive end for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I should say the Saxonville Jaguars, uh, which, by the way, Calais Campbell basically is the reason they're called Saxonville. Um, he has set the single-season sack record for the Jaguars in his first year as a Jaguar uh, after a storied career with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Calais, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. 
Hey, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. So, um, Calais, I, I, uh, I, I've been watching a lot, obviously, of the Jaguars this year, and uh, I'm really kind of blown away with how the contributions, particularly of you and a new cornerback, A.J. Boye, uh, have made and have really catapulted you guys into the upper echelon of this league. So what do you think you've been able to add to this team to make it uh, what what looks to be the uh, div- what's going to be a division championship season in Jacksonville? <laughs> that would be nice. You know, we still got a lot of work to do, though. Uh, but I think uh, you know what I bring is uh, just a lot of experience. You know, uh, some, uh, some some encouragement, leadership. You know, uh, but honestly, you know, just. Uh, give us some belief to the guys. You know, I think this team, when we first started out, you know, uh, I knew it was very talented. I think the guys knew that they had talent too. I think, uh, you know, they felt like to be able to win, we had to do some crazy uh, instrumental uh, amount of work, you know, something different, you know. But at the end of the day, we just put our head down. We grinded. Our coaches did ask a lot of us. I mean, we worked, I I have to say, I'm pretty sure we worked harder than anybody else in 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 the league, you know, any other team in the league, you know. And uh, and then it comes down to just you know guys executing, being focused and disciplined. You know we have so much talent. You know it's just good things happen. I mean we take turns making plays. Uh, Calais, you basically have uh, you know you're you're in the middle of having what probably is going to be your best year uh, in the NFL. You entered this season, um, and I'm I might be off slightly, but you entered this season having played. Uh, uh, nine years for the Arizona Cardinals. And in those nine years, uh, you made a tremendous impact with, ja- with, with Arizona, but you haven't, you didn't make the kind of impact you're, you're, you're making now. You had, I think 56 sacks in your career with Arizona. And this year you've got 12 and a half in Jacksonville. What has been the big difference, do you think, in going from Arizona to now having your career high in sacks still with three games left? Yeah, I, well, I mean, you know, I try to think about all that stuff, too, you know, and I mean, I think you have to understand, too, that going from a 3-4, playing inside mostly, three technique, one technique at times five, you know, uh, and it's easier to double team inside. You know, when you get on the outside, first and second down opportunities are a lot more easy to get sacks. You know, uh, you know, third down, I still go inside, but, you know, third down when you're inside, I mean, that's when it's, uh, you know, I mean, that's no matter what's always been the same. But our first, second down, you know, when you can see his pass on the outside, you know, you get a good jump, you can make a lot more plays, you know. And then also, you, I mean, the players around me, you know, uh, this is the most talented team I've ever been a part of. You know, I think it's one of the most talented teams, you know, uh, you know, in the game, you know, for the last couple of years. Uh, you know, our defense has so many different playmakers. You know, I think they all, we all play a part to make each other better. So, uh, you know, I mean, I've made a lot of plays that I probably wouldn't have, shouldn't have made just because I was in the right place at the right time because everybody else is doing the job so well. That, you know, it was forced right to me. You know, and I mean, there are times where I've, you know, done some good stuff and it went to somebody else. I mean, it goes both ways. But uh, at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, what makes, us, what makes the Jacksonville Jaguars special, what makes my season, you know, uh, being one of the best ever, is that we just all play off each other. You know, we all take turns making plays. And, it's, you know, when so many plays go around, everybody's going to get their fair share. Um, 
joined by Calais Campbell of the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. So, uh, Calais, what, in your opinion, right now, is uh, it, has it been like to change from what I would consider sort of an easygoing coach in Bruce Arians in Arizona? To uh, I would think, I mean, just from the outside, a really kind of uh, you know a tough guy in in Doug Marone, backed up by another tough guy in Tom Coughlin. What what has that been like for you as a player? Yeah, they're not that big of a difference, you know. Uh, uh, Bruce Arians, uh, great guy. Great coach, you know, uh, a guy that, uh, you know, he's a player's coach, you know, you know, he likes to joke around with the players, hang with us, you know, you know, you build a, a natural relationship. But, uh, when, you know, when he, when he goes out and works, I mean, he works hard, you know, uh, push the guys to be the best they can be, you know, it just works, work smart, work hard, you know, get jobs done. You know, when you come into uh, to Jacksonville, you know, Coach Marone, very, very similar. You know, I mean, uh, I have a good relationship with Coach Marone, you know, you know, he likes to joke around, hang out too. Uh, but when it's time to work, I mean, he's going to push you, you know, even harder and make you, you know, uh, uh, do things you didn't really think you could do, you know. But at, in the end, you know, he asks you to trust him, and, uh, you know, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay off, and it really has. Um, and, and has it been – was it in any way a big change for you to go from uh, Phoenix to Jacksonville? I've always wondered about players. We all just sort of – imagine you interchangeably you know going from one place to another and it's not that big a deal but you know you got to move your family you've got to you got to change your life what what is that aspect of it like when you move from one place to another oh yeah that's the hardest the hardest part is just uh you know uh Going to a new city, you have to find you know new massage therapists, you know uh, acupuncture. You know, you know when I move to a new city, about. when I move to a new city, I also have to find a new massage therapist. <laughs> <laughs> very important. Those are very important things, you know. Uh, but I mean, you know, you have to find a, you know new a new uh, place to eat, new places to shop for the you know the healthy food, you know. Um, you know, uh, you, you have to create a new regimen, you know, plus, you know, our schedule is way different. You know, uh, we do uh, spend a lot more time, you know, in, in the facility uh, in Jacksonville than I did in Arizona. So it's a lot more, uh, it's, my schedule's a lot different, you know, it's just an adjustment uh, uh, as a whole. But after a while, you know, it becomes, you know, it just it all pays in together. It's a lot of sacrifices for my family. Uh, you know, they do a good job. You know, my wife does a good job, uh, you know, uh, making my transition a lot easier. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, we're professionals, and, you know, you have to be able to, you know, do your job under any circumstances, and, you know, change is uh, is good sometimes because it, you know, allows you to kind of have a new, a fresh start, you know, and I really take, I try to take advantage of the opportunity. Calais, uh, a lot of people think that your game against the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday of this week uh, was probably the biggest win that this franchise has had maybe in a decade. Describe the atmosphere in the stadium and what did that win over the Seahawks mean for your franchise? Well, I mean, the stadium was rocking. I mean, that place was electrifying. Uh, you know, you can't really, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard. 
you know, I know the, the fans haven't really had a lot to cheer for the last couple of years. You know, they've been very frustrated, you know, uh, but they come through with a bang. You know, the last couple of weeks have been intense and, and fun, you know, and I think, uh, you know, as the closest we had to like a night game, you know, with, the, with it getting a little dark towards the end, you know, and the fans really, uh, I mean, they were they were enjoying it. You know, we were enjoying it on the football field. Uh, I think uh, as far as being a good team, you know, uh, we expected to win the game. You know, I think it's just a, another another uh, another um, bit of confidence grows every time you get a big win. You know, each each win in December, you know, uh, is, is is critical. You know, and Seattle's a very good team. They're going to be a team that's going to you know make a run for it and have a chance to. I think they're Super Bowl contenders. You know, and so uh, it just it builds a little more confidence. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, uh, it's just one win. You know, uh, we'll treat it the same as any other win. You know, and uh, celebrate it for for 24 hours, and then now that you know. Uh, uh, today, you know, uh, so watch a film and break it down to Houston Texans trying to get our test win. It's it was kind of a chippy game. Uh, it, it was it was about as and you guys don't even the 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 Seahawks and the Jaguars never play each other. They play each other like once every four years. Why did this thing get so chippy, and why did the fans get so chippy? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, for far as football goes, in December, every game is so critical. Both teams needing a, a huge win, is, you know, and then both teams being real, real physical. You know, this is a physical game. I mean, the line of scrimmage, you know, uh, you to, you know, I mean, you take off to our offensive line. They did a great job, you know, handling uh, uh, Seattle's front four, which everybody has respect for. I mean, uh, they're they're you know have been one of the best, you know, uh, consistently, you know, for the past what, six seven years, and uh, really last four or five years. I mean. You know, their front four has been, you know, a big part of the reason why they, you know, able to win out of the games. Really, the front seven. And, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, I know Seattle had a couple of injuries and stuff. You never want to see that happen. But uh, you have to take a hat off to our offensive line. They did a really good job, you know, uh, uh, neutralizing their front seven and uh, and open up opportunities for us to score points. You know, and then uh, anytime, you know, when the game's physical like that, you know, emotions get a little high and sometimes it gets out of hand. I I thought that there were fewer of the guys on your team who might want to take Michael Bennett out into some alley after the game and sort of administer Jaguar justice to him after he dove at your center's knee. I mean, that's that's what I meant. I mean, the game was so, uh, I don't know, there was just an anger to the game. It was almost like a Bengals-Steelers game or something. Did it Did it feel like that to you? Yeah, well, I mean, it was physical, and I think any time you play against a worthy opponent, you know, in December, it's going to be a physical, intense game. Uh, you know, and that was uncalled for, but I, I don't know. Uh, I was curious if that's actually a strategy in a sense, you know, but I don't think that – I won't say that it is, uh, but, it, it, you know, I think that is kind of an interesting uh, rule. But when uh, the, the first time it happened, there was offset penalties, which made the clock stop. And I don't know if that was uh, intent or not, but that was kind of interesting to me because I didn't realize the clock stopped in that scenario, which, you know, the second time around, if we didn't hold our composure, the clock would have stopped again and it would have been third down right, right. and we wouldn't be able to knee. Uh, so that would have been interesting because they could have got the ball back. And I don't know if that's part of the strategy or not, but that's uh, something that we need to fix in the, in the rule book, you know, because that's kind of, you know, that could be scary going forward. Calais, I'm going to close with this. In 2007, you uh, graduated from the University of Miami. You got a degree in sociology. And eight years later, you gave $1.6 million to the University of Miami to establish an endowed scholarship there at the university. That's, that's a heck of a thing for you to do. Why'd you do it? 
Well, um, I think really uh, why I want to give back uh, money for a scholarship is I want to uh, send a message to the players uh, that, you know, take your, take your education serious. You know, I know everybody has the NFL dreams, but very few people have a real opportunity of, of realizing that dream. So, you know, I just remember too many guys that just didn't take school serious and then, you know, they end up graduating and NFL wasn't a possibility for them and they have to go back and try to figure out what they want to do. So, you know, by donating that money for the scholarship, you know, uh, I really want to, to just send a message to the guys that take school serious man and get a chance to you know get a free free degree that can help you when uh if football doesn't work out or you know where you can make a, a honest living a great living to feed your family have you met any of the players or students who have been recipients of your scholarship well, I mean, I, I have, you know, a good relationship, you know, with, with uh, you know, with the culture staff there. And I was able to go back and, uh, you know, hang out with me, Coach Rick and his whole staff and, you know, all the, you know, ADs and, you know, um, uh, uh, I mean, I've, I've got, I've got the pleasure to, you know, be a part of the, part of the team. And I, and I mean, I'm, I bleed orange and green. I'm a, a huge fan. So I've got to be able to meet all the players and, you know, give advice and, you know, uh, you know, as far as the you know, person that receives my scholarship, uh, you know, I treat him the same as every other player. You know, I get a chance to meet. You know, I'm always trying to drop knowledge and, and motivate and try to help the guys become uh, great men one day. Calais Campbell, good good speaking with you. Congratulations on your year so far. And uh, that thing at Miami really impresses me. Congratulations for that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It means a lot. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. This is Jim Miller, and Origins is back. Recently, I gave you a behind-the-curtain look into the groundbreaking comedy Curb Your Enthusiasm. Now... It's time to take you on another ride. One that's nearly 40 years in the making. Dropping December 18th. Origins with James Andrew Miller. Chapter 2. A deep exploration into the world of ESPN. In five different episodes, we will reveal previously unheard and unpredictable moments, pivotal junctures, and strokes of luck, good and bad, that turned ESPN from a ramshackle couple of buildings into one of the greatest media success stories of all time. You'll hear from all the key players in front of the camera and behind. Look for Origins with James Andrew Miller on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you download your programs. State Farm knows that for football fans, your car and home are more than just stuff. They're some of your most valuable possessions. Whether it's the truck that gets you to every tailgate or the place where you watch your favorite team with your favorite people. But life can be a real tough opponent. So when it comes to insuring your car or home, you need a strong defense like State Farm. Because they know it's more than just a car or a house. So why not give it the protection it deserves? It's just one more way they're here to help life go right. Talk to a State Farm agent today. And now my conversation with Jenny Varentis of the MMQB. Back on the MMQB podcast, uh, I'm joined by one of my peers at the MMQB, Jenny Varentis, a senior writer at Sports Illustrated and for the MMQB. And I had Jenny on, I wanted to have Jenny on today to talk about a really cool story that she's doing this week. Jenny has just spent uh, a week on the road with the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, first 
uh, in Seattle at their game there and then down in Southern California where they stayed for the week before they played the Rams uh, and then uh, down in Orange County watching them practice and then at the game on Sunday. So, uh, Jenny, overall, what was the experience like with this? Uh, the, the Eagles have become a little bit sort of like rock stars now. It was quite an interesting week playing on a baseball field, you know, shuttling to and from practice. Because you know, they, they practiced at Anaheim, right, on at the Angel Stadium. Yeah, yeah they practiced at Angel Stadium. They stayed in uh, Costa Mesa, which is actually the same town as where the Chargers are based. Um, so they had this whole California life on the road experience. You know, they, they w- played in Seattle, flew to Orange County, got in at about 3.30 a.m. on Monday, that was the players off day. And then they set up shop for basically a normal week, um, stayed in that hotel all the way until game day and then bust up to L.A. for for the game. So um, what's the personality of this team like? Are they they have a lot of fun guys? Are they private? I mean, I know that that, uh, you know, from talking to them before this happened, that they really didn't want their guys really out and about and uh, hitting the Hollywood scene or anything like that. And so what what was it like being around them? Well, you're right. They didn't want the guys out and about. And they sort of tailored the schedule that way because they had meetings from 9 a.m. till 7.45 p.m., which is much later. You know, when they're back in Philadelphia, they're done for the day at 5.45 p.m. And some of the veteran players said, you know, they didn't really think that was an accident. They thought it was sort of designed to have a really long day. So guys didn't, you know, have much time to go out and do other stuff. They also had a curfew, which was midnight every night, except the night before the game, which was 11 p.m. But, you know, so there were guys who did some fun things. You know, Brandon Graham took his daughter to the Museum of Ice Cream, you know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think the receivers went out to Roscoe's uh, Chicken and Waffles for dinner. You know, some guys did some community events with Habitat for Humanity arranged through the team. But as for the personality of the team, you know, one thing that really stands out being around them is just really how strong that locker room is. And, you know, you're around a lot of teams. And you don't always see that, you know, but I think on successful teams, you really do. And it's very hard not to walk away with that impression. You know, they just really seem to like each other. Uh, they seem to get along. Um, they have lots of jokes. You know, I, after the game, I saw Chris Long introducing his mom to Bo Allen, one of his defensive line teammates. So I just think they have a really good vibe going. And perhaps that is, a you know, one way that togetherness and closeness that they potentially could overcome a Wentz injury. You know, I know that some of the players, safety Rodney McLeod, um, came up to Wentz after the game, and McLeod was the one who um, recovered the forced fumble by Chris Long that sort of turned the Eagles-Rams game in their favor, and he told Wentz, that was for you. So I do think that bond, you know, could help them moving forward. What do you think... um, I'm going to have Jeff McLean uh, on a little bit later to talk about just sort of um, the, the the kind of the prognosis today for Wentz. But, Jenny, you were around them, and you understand how teams work. You know, they can say, hey, next man up. But this is a devastating blow to lose Carson Wentz. And even though he's not necessarily the life of the party, you get a sense that he's very well-liked and very well-respected around that team. He is very well liked and well respected, I think, because, you know, you always hear the first one and last one out thing. But I think he just puts so much into each week, you know, making um, 
suggestions for his coaches from, you know, things maybe they used at North Dakota or having a lot of input into the game plan. He takes his preparation so seriously. Um, but watching him on Sunday before he got hurt was just such a showcase of how much they're going to miss him. You know, there were so many drives that were stalling when they really needed to score, and the only reason they moved the ball was because of his heroics. I mean, he would either, you know, place the ball in a tight window, kind of the the kinds of throws you see Aaron Rodgers make, like a shrinking window between two defenders, and his mobility in the pocket. You know, sometimes that's in a big way, sometimes that's in more subtle ways, but he buys extra time and, and moves around to make plays that other quarterbacks can't. And I just think that that is so difficult to replace. Certainly Nick Foles has a lot of experience. He has 30-some starts of his own. So I think he's a a better-than-an-average backup, right? Especially he has experience playing in Philadelphia. And they have other attributes on the team. They have veterans at every single position group, which I think is very notable. Um, But it's just that extra level that makes Wentz special that I think is going to be so hard. They're going to miss so much. What do you think of the way this team has been constructed? I, I, I'm pretty high on what Howie Roseman did and some of the moves he's made with this team. And I think, you know, ever since, and, and, and look, you know, Chip Kelly was sort of a controversial figure there, but really ever since he left and Howie Roseman has been able to sort of re- take uh, a prominent role in the architecture of this team, I mean, I think they made a lot of good moves. They've extended players. They've extended contracts of players. So I, how do you look at this team both today and for the long haul? I agree. They have so many young players under contract for an extended period of time. So it is a pretty young roster, but yet it's a young roster with a core that's going to remain in place for a while, which I think is important. Obviously, they made smart decisions at the quarterback position. They basically, you know, they they that one year they got Bradford, Chase Daniel, and Carson Wentz just to give them options, you know, um, so they could pick the best one. And that's really, you know, people criticize them for maybe investing too much money and resources into that position, but really. They basically said, well, it's the most important position on the field, so we have to make sure we have options to get it right. But, yeah, I mean, you just look. There's so many guys who can make plays, whether it be in a role-playing position, you know, Chris Long in a role-playing position, and then you have Fletcher Cox, who was really, you know, penetrating get after the quarterback, Brandon Graham. You know, those are just examples of sort of one area of the team where you have different guys at different ages and and roles of their careers and different price tags that are all kind of coming together um, to make an impact. I want to ask you um, to speak to young journalists right now. And because I think one of the things you were assigned a story by me to go and spend a week with the Eagles and to write about what the Eagles are like and write sort of a day by day deal about what this team is like. And so when I first got into this business in 1980, stories like that were not the impossible dream because the access was so much better. Stories like that today are really, really hard because teams limit the access so much to their players. So, and I mean, I'm, I don't want you to, to blow your own horn or anything like that, but I'd love to know, and, and I, I would love young journalists who are just getting into this sort of restricted uh, field. 
how you do a story like this and how you end up doing your job in a week like this when it it isn't an easy job to do well yeah well first of all i thought it was it was an interesting assignment just for the sense of you know having come from covering a beat and being around one team for a while that you know before i took this job this was sort of a hearkening back to that where you had a chance to sort of in bed with the team and really get to understand the personalities. It ended up being a hugely pivotal week for them in not a good way, um, although they did come out at the top of the NFC, but obviously with the Wentz injury. So I, I appreciate that chance to sort of get to know a team and see what they're really like up close. Um, but you're right. I mean, it is the NFL today is such a controlled environment. There's tight access periods. Um, I think the Eagles were intent on making it as close to a normal week as possible. And so, you know, not having guys do anything extra that they wouldn't normally do. And they were so intent on minimizing distractions during a week when there could have been a lot of distractions. So, you know, you had locker room sessions. You basically had to observe anything that you could observe. But, you know, you gave me great advice. You said, just go sit at the team hotel and maybe something will happen. So Friday morning before practice, you know, they moved Doug Peterson's press conference from the hotel to right before practice at Angel Stadium. So there was no reason to go to the team. How hotel. far away is the ho- was the hotel from the stadium? Tw- about 20 minutes. Now, they had a police escort, so they probably got there a little faster than 20 minutes. So really for them, it wasn't a huge deal because that's about the length of time it takes players to commute to the Novacare Center. So the drive wasn't a big deal for them. But, you know, so I went to the team hotel Friday morning just to see what I could see. And it turns out I'm sitting in the lobby and, you know, I see Jeffrey Lurie kind of loitering and then Howie Roseman kind of pacing as if he's kind of the owner and GM of the team. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you don't normally see them kind of like anxiously waiting for someone in the lobby. So I asked someone, they said, Oh, Kobe's about to come in. Kobe Bryant, you know, renowned Eagles fan, obviously, you know, 18 time all-star from Philly. So that was, it was, lucky to be there for that you know so I saw him walk in he greeted the owner and the GM went upstairs to talk to the team and you know got the chance to talk to him on the way out and and he also you know noted the chemistry of the team and how close-knit they seemed but that was just a cool moment to be able to be there for and if I hadn't taken your advice of going to uh, sit in the hotel lobby (laughs) I would have totally missed it. Well I'll tell you my I'll tell you my uh, this is really strange I, I think I told you this but um I'll tell the listeners this this hotel, the Westin South Coast Plaza in Costa Mesa, California, is the place that 30 years ago or 31 years ago now almost, the New York Giants stayed for their Super Bowl when they played Denver. And the hotel obviously is remodeled. The area is a little bit different. There's the biggest mall in the history of mankind across the street. Um, you know, that it may have been there, but I don't think it was that big then. Anyway, um, so I decided, because I always tried to figure out a way, well, maybe I could get an edge somehow when I was covering the Giants in the Super Bowl. That was their team hotel. And I decided Tuesday morning, I'm going to come and I'm going to sit in the lobby and just have a cup of coffee. And I look over at the far end of the lobby, there's Bill Parcells, the coach of the team. And I just kind of ambled over and he just said, hey, sit down. So it was about 5.30 in the morning because uh, I stayed on East Coast time. I had two young kids at the time, and I stayed on East Coast time. And uh, I ended up three mornings in a row. Parcells just said he had his old high school coach, Mickey Corcoran, with him. Parcells just said, yeah, you can just come by. We're just talking. So I ended up spending like 
three hours with Parcells that week. But that's the difference. If Doug Peterson was having a coffee in the lobby, I'm not saying you couldn't go over and say hello to him and make small talk for 45 seconds, but then, hey, get away from me. I'm doing X. Because that's just the way it is now. And that is such a weird part of our business in that I always tell kids, I mean, I'm 60 years old, and I always tell young people, I said, I, I hate to say this, because I, I'm, but I feel sorry for you these days, because it's just so different. I was just so much more fortunate to have come into the business in a time when it was so, I mean, it was kind of the Wild West. You made your own breaks, I guess I would say, and now everything is so controlled it just is, it's kind of crazy, really, when you think about it. It is crazy. But one thing that also does stand out about that locker room, though, is there is there are so many guys that are willing to talk. You know, a lot of locker rooms you go into, and it's hard to get guys to say anything interesting. There's just a lot of interesting guys in that locker room with a lot of opinions and a lot of things to know. <laughs> you know, I just was talking to Fletcher Cox one day, and he mentioned that they didn't have music at practice. I guess the sound system at Angel Stadium was out, and he said, that was kind of neat. They could hear each other's voices, you know, and it kind of, you know, spurred them to create their own energy, which is something that's useful on the road. But it was interesting that he shared that tidbit. You know, that's why I think that it's a bunch of interesting guys that like each other. They're comfortable. They're winning. Obviously, they're in a good mood. So that did make it a little bit easier to cover as well. You uh, wrote a story and it'll be on our site at the MMQB this week. If I asked you, what's your favorite tidbit your favorite part of the story what do you think you'd say well you know seeing Kobe at the team hotel was was pretty cool because you know the message he had to the players was was really interesting about focusing on the details the kill everything mentality what is that I don't know what that is well so I you know mamba mentality apparently which is what the players were saying I guess that's I guess I should be I should know the NBA I don't know I I don't know what that is I guess it's part of his whole black mamba personality um so which he shared with them was his mentality was to kill everything. So the person across from you, you want to make them want wish they were an accountant. Not that there's any <laughs> you know, That's pretty good. To which I said, you know, not that there's anything wrong with being an accountant, but you know, um that that was interesting. You know, I thought the the music at no music at practice was interesting. Um they had In and Out Burger on Friday and the Angels stadium operations guy was basically like yeah every team that comes here wants in and out <laughs> and there, seen that. so do i when yeah. i go to california but probably maybe the coolest thing was on saturday I, I went over to the stadium to meet with the angel stadium ops guy who kind of explained how they set up the week and it was a crazy day you know the eagles were arriving for walkthrough um they were leaving the stadium between 1 and one thirty, and meanwhile the angels are setting up for their Potentially, I guess, one of their biggest free agent signings in I don't know how long. Ota ever. Ever. Is it ever? Yeah. 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 Otani. Um, they were setting up for the Otani press conference. So the Eagles are filing in like 25 yards from where Otani would be introduced at 3 p.m. It was just kind of a weird sports day. And meanwhile, Mike Trout, you know, the super Eagles fan who's the star Angels outfielder, he's getting married in New Jersey in the snow. So You know what I thought? I I really thought when I heard that the Eagles were going to practice in Anaheim that Trout would be there like every day, you know, hanging out with the Eagles. I was shocked he wasn't. They did leave Trout bobbleheads in his locker, but when I heard he was getting married, that <laughs> explained it. But yeah, every player got a Trout bobblehead, so at least they, they got to take that home with them. Wow. 
Jenny, really, uh, really glad that you were able to join me on the podcast. And uh, I'd urge people, you sent me the... uh, the first part of the story, and there's so many cool things in there. I just, I think these are the kind of things that really distinguish, you know, a good, deep, fun story about a team, which, as you say, is so hard to do these days. But I appreciate your hard work on that and your hard work on everything. Thanks for having me on, Peter. This is the MMQB Podcast. Podcast. And now my conversation with Eagles beat writer Jeff McClain of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Back on the MMQB podcast, joined by uh, Eagles ace beat man, Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Jeff, really appreciate you joining me, and I I uh, wanted to know if you would uh, just update the, uh, the audience about what happened with the MRI with Carson Wentz, what happened with Doug Peterson, uh, in the wake of the torn ACL, and uh, what's been the reaction around the team uh, in the wake of this this news? Yeah, well, so Doug uh, met with reporters on Monday around noon Eastern and uh, had the update that uh, Carson had indeed tore the ACL and his left knee, uh, completely torn, not partially torn, so he's done for the season. Um you know, they don't know when. He doesn't know yet when they'll have the surgery, but I imagine sometime in the next few weeks when the swelling goes down. Um, you know, and Nick's, Nick's full job um, from here on out. And uh, they're not going to make any other kind of change. Nick Sudfeld, uh, uh, who they had signed, I'm sorry, Nate uh, Sudfeld, who they had signed uh, earlier this offseason, will be the backup. Um, and then Doug kind of was asked a lot of questions about what the offense will look like. Uh, certainly the prospects for the season. A lot of people thought this team would be a Super Bowl contender, uh, rightfully so, considering their record and the fact that they, uh, you know, basically are in the number one spot for the uh, first first seed in the uh, NFC playoffs. Um, And, you know, Doug was, you know, he kind of went through the the laundry list of players that the Eagles have already lost this season and how they've been able to compensate and and, uh, survive those losses. Jason Peters, Darren Sproles, Jordan Hicks, Chris Maragos. I mean, you know, there's there's a roll call of, of players that they've lost, and, and they haven't really missed a beat. Uh, obviously, this one is so much more significant than than all those guys, maybe even all of them combined. Um, but he says he has a lot of faith in Nick Foles, and um, you know, he believes that the you know, the team uh, certainly still has a shot to, to compete. Um, they still have some uh, work to do left here. Three more games. They have the Giants on Sunday on the road. Then they host the Raiders at home on Christmas Day night, and then they close to the Cowboys at home. Jeff, I do um, believe I want, their own destiny. I want to. I want to interrupt you. I do believe they'll beat the Giants nine hundred to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah, I mean, actually, the, 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 the schedule is kind of favorable for it them. Is. I think. It is. It uh, is. Yeah. Yeah. So, and in terms of the reaction. Um, you know, I've seen it from players. We haven't had much. We didn't have a chance to get the players today on Monday. Um, we'll see some of them tomorrow. I think Nick is going to talk on Tuesday. Um, but uh, at least you know, from social media reaction, the players are kind of you know expressing their um, remorse and, and support of Carson uh, in terms of his injury. But uh, you know, they, they obviously have Nick's back, and um, you know, believe. And, and you know what? I mean, this team. 
it, it you know Carson certainly has been playing at a high level, but they do have a strong run game and they do have a strong defense. So um, I wouldn't bury them just yet. Um, with uh, Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer, um, Jeff, the one thing that interested me about this, and I was curious about this, I had Jenny Varentis on the podcast. She was out with the Eagles for the week, and the, and she yeah. she talked about how tight this locker room was. And a lot of times you get a locker room and this, this team has a bunch of new guys and a bunch of new kind of influencers, I would say like Chris Long and Tori Smith and, and Alshon Jeffrey, when they do the celebration, he's the one who's doing the bowling. And so, I mean, this, they, they got a bunch of new guys and yet, you know, as Jenny said, this is a pretty tight team. So how do you think this team responds yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, sometimes I think the whole chemistry thing is a little overrated. Um, when you win, that's when you a lot of times have yeah. good chemistry. But that being said, they do have a core group of guys, I think, that enjoy playing with each other um, and are similar ter- in terms of, you know, their approach to playing football, the professionals. You have a lot of guys like that, and they've certainly brought – um, them in, uh, and Chris Long, who's won a Super Bowl, and Torrey Smith, who's also won a Super Bowl. Um, and, you know, in a, you know, a few years uh, back, bringing in Malcolm Jenkins, who won a Super Bowl, and he's become a, a leader on this team. Um, they have a strong group of leaders. Brandon Graham has been here for a long time. He's one of the guys. Uh, but they've now, of, of their five leaders, the, guy, the five captains that they voted at the beginning of the year, three of them are now done for the season. Uh, Carson Wentz, Jason Peters, and Chris Marigo. So th- they've been hit in that regard. Um, so we'll see how they respond. But it's not just those guys, just the Jason Kelseys uh, on the roster. Um, you know, there's the uh, Fletcher Coxes, uh, who may not say as much, but certainly a guy that leads by example in how he approaches the game. Um, so I think they'll be able to weather the storm in, in that manner. But it all starts with Carson. I mean, since he's come in the locker room, Peter – uh, it's changed the vibe. It's he's he just. I mean, he's you know he's not especially vocal. He hasn't really gotten to that point yet. I mean, a little more this year than last year certainly, but it's just his professionalism. First guy in, last guy out. I know it's a little bit of a cliche, but Carson lives um, by it, and you know, and he preaches it to the other players. And I think a lot of them have followed him uh, in that in that regard. I, I've. I've talked to him, I don't know, three or four times. This goes back to the scouting combine before the 16 draft. And he even said it to me. I did a podcast interview with him after the Washington Monday night game a few weeks ago. And I've said to him, I've tried to get him to answer this question differently. And he refuses. I ask the question a little bit differently every time. But the question goes along the line of, well, Carson, you are from Bismarck, North Dakota. You went to college in North Dakota. You say that when it's all over, you're going to be buried in North Dakota. You love North Dakota. It's all about North Dakota for Carson Wentz. You love to hunt. You love to fish. Uh, and you are so loyal to that state. So here you are in the belly of the beast, Philadelphia, Silver Linings Playbook, fights in the parking lot, uh, you know, people calling up and screaming on WIP after a loss. And, and I said, so 
I mean, and yet you don't seem to be affected by this at all. You don't seem to play any different whether you're playing, you know, the South Dakota State Jackrabbits or the New York Giants. Why? And he has answered this question the exact same way. Now, not these exact words, but basically, it's just football. And I'm, I'm impressed with that. And you, and you want to make sure that that is the truth. And that's how he really feels. But apparently, it is how he feels. Yeah, and I think the guiding force there is his belief in uh, Christianity. Um, you know, he talks about it a lot. Um, a lot of the guys now think in the, in the locker room, if you talk to the guys, he's got maybe four or five close friends in that regard. They go to church together on Sundays. They do a lot of things together. And you know, I think he's going to be a preacher when he's done football. Um, and he says that keeps him centered. And I think in terms of like the big picture, he can kind of look at that and say, um, you know, this is just a game. I think he loves the game, obviously, more than more than many things. But um, to him, you know, it's not the ultimate thing. And if things are going bad for him, and they certainly are now, the season's over, he can kind of step back and look at things from, from that perspective. Um, you know, I know some people, you know, may roll their eyes, um, upon hearing that, but he believes it. And, and that's what matters most, I think to him, certainly. Um, and I think that's a, a big part of why, how he can kind of approach the game, whether it's in, as you mentioned, in North Dakota or in Philadelphia, one of the, the most, uh, you know, one of the most difficult places to play, uh, in professional sports. The other thing is I want to mention too, is that he kind of brought North Dakota to the Philadelphia area and he bought a large plot of land where he can hunt and get away from it all in South Jersey, Peter. And, you know, that and his brother's there living nearby. He's there with him a lot. I mean, he, you know, that was important for him. And, um, and I think he needs that. It's kind of like a reprieve from, from, from being in Philadelphia or being at the Nevercar complex. He can go back to, to his, to his property and hunt if he wants, hang out with his dogs, do, do the things that he likes to do or that he did, uh, certainly in North Dakota. He's sort of become pals with Trout, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, another uh, a South Jersey guy by, uh, by birth, um, both hunters. So I think they've, they've done that a few times. I know Carson's had, had him to his place uh, several times. And, you know, it's funny, um, they, uh, you know, the Eagles were, were practicing this past week in, in, in Mike Trout's home baseball field. Um, Trout was back home, so he wasn't there. Um, but they, they each He's had back a home getting head. married, wasn't he? Yes, yes. Yeah. And, you know, meanwhile, the, the uh, Angels were signing the hottest uh, uh, player in, uh, I guess, free agent, I guess you could call him, yeah. in all of baseball while, while Trout was away. And, uh, you know, when all the players got into the locker room, um, there's a Mike Trout bobblehead in there for the hall. <laughs> yeah. and, um, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he's a huge, I mean, he's a serious Eagles fan. He's got, you know, he's got season tickets right along the end zone there, right when the play, right uh, near the tunnel where the players come out. Um, Wentz and Zach Ertz have, have given him footballs after touchdowns. So, um, Trout was all in on the Eagles even before Carson Wentz was there, but they've become friends, fast friends. That's cool. Uh, finishing up with, uh, Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer. So Jeff, two more things you hear about a torn ACL. And here we are, we're in uh, almost in the middle of December. It's December 11. Uh, 
So uh, torn ACLs uh, take, I don't know, I would guess I usually hear about nine months where you're, you know, you're back in, in really good shape. And we're getting kind of late in the year. And I wonder whenever he does have this surgery, how sure are the Eagles that he's going to be ready for the first game in 2018? It's a good question. Now, I asked Doug it, and I, you know, I expected to get the answer of, you know, that he's only looking towards the Giants and, and can't think that far ahead. But I think the organization certainly is. Uh, Howie Roseman and Joe Douglas are thinking beyond what's going to happen this season because they have to. I mean, he's, he's the franchise, and they have to figure out, you know, how they're going to approach the offseason. I mean, he's are very unlikely to be participating in, in most of practices during the spring, and he probably won't be. Um, a full participant when training camp starts in late July. Um, you mentioned nine months. Uh, you know, I think it was at RG3. They got injured uh, a little later in the season. He was back for the first game, but he was never the He was, not he the was same never the player. same. I don't think he was ever the same. Right. So do you want to rush him back? Um, again, this is he's going, you know, being his third year. Um, you just don't want to mess with that. And, um, I will say this, though. I mean, if there's anybody who's going to get back uh, or try his damnedest to get back um, as early as possible, it's Carson Wentz. I mean, he's not going to slack off. He's going to give everything he has in his rehab. But you just never know. It's it's a subjective uh, thing when it comes to the ACL. Some guys heal faster than others. I mean, Adrian Peterson, that was like you know a miracle that he got back so quickly. But then there's been other guys that they, you know, I've seen over the years, and you've covered this game much longer than I have, and you've seen your fair – share of ACLs and I have as well. Some guys, it takes them longer than a year at least to get back to being who they were before. And does, what's that going to do to Carson in terms of his mobility? I mean, that's that's what makes him Carson. Although I think maybe in some ways it could help him because I'm one of these guys that just felt like this is, this injury, injury was an inevit- inevitable because he's got to do a better job of protecting himself. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Those he reminds me, he dazzling. almost, Jeff, he almost reminds me a little bit of Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers takes some chances that he really doesn't need to take. And you have to realize that, hey, it's all well and good to be a warrior and all that. But, man, there are some, there are some dives that Carson Wentz takes that you say, dude, not that important. You know, Franco Harris right. stepped Luck. out of bounds. Come on. Right. Andrew, I thought I'm thinking a little more Andrew Luck too. I think Aaron's got a little better of just kind of hold the ball, hold the ball, and then throwing yeah. it away if he doesn't have anything. And Carson's got to do a little bit of that too as well. Um, yeah, it does make him special. But th- th- my whole thing is like, yeah, I know tough guy is the ultimate compliment in football, but tough guy quarterbacks, you know, being smart is much more important at that position than being tough. Yeah. Uh, my last question for you is: I saw on Twitter today that that somebody called WIP, the huge sports radio station in town, somebody called WIP and they had to cut him off because he was crying too much. And I, 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 I'm, I, I just, I'm just trying to imagine what the city of Philadelphia is like today. As I, as I said, is there, is there black crepe paper on the Walt Whitman Bridge? I mean, what, what is it like being in Philadelphia today? Yeah, so I, I guess I took the red eye and then I kind of flipped on the radio right when I got back. And, and yeah, I mean, it's a, a lot of doomsday uh, scenarios from fans. And then, I, you know, I hear it on social media, although I probably could stay off because uh, I've become a, a, apparently a lightning rod just for even mentioning, the, the, you know, anything that, that they can deem 
to be negative. Um, you know, people in Philadelphia, it's not as much sad as angry. Um, people just get angry here, a lot, you know, quickly. And you know what? Um, this is a franchise that's never won a Super Bowl. This is a franchise that hasn't won a championship since 1960. This is a franchise that uh, has you know, endured countless losing seasons and other significant injuries to key players and all, you know, all kinds of unlucky uh you know, things have happened in their history. And I think they just think, oh, wow, you know, this is the year. Uh, yeah, no one expected it, but then everything was just kind of clicking. And then you have, finally, you have a quarterback that is an elite guy. And you're thinking, with Carson Wentz, anything is possible. This is the year to do it. And then, bang, in one moment, it's, you know, 7.05 Eastern, I think it was. It all gets taken away from you. And I know that, you know, Doug is preaching that, you know, the next man up philosophy and Nick Foles, but, um, you know, that's, that's a hard sell. Yeah, it really is. Jeff McClain, really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks a million and uh, have a lot of respect for your work. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it, Peter. Thanks to my guest, Calais Campbell of the Jacksonville Jaguars, the MMQB's Jenny Varentis, and Jeff McClain of the Philadelphia Inquirer. If you enjoy these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with Kirk Cousins, Drew Brees, and Adam Schefter. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the MMQB podcast with Peter King on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the fine folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsor, State Farm. Please support State Farm the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week.